it back. Salutations and shit, folks. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of your favorite travel podcast, Travel and Shit, where I, your host, D. Carrie, have an experiential travel an experiential conversation <laughs> about the nuanced ways that travel intersects with regular life. Every once in a while, I will have a completely separate conversation with myself in my head in the middle of a conversation that I'm actually saying out loud. And that was one of those moments where I was talking out loud and then having another conversation in my head. The two weren't um, the same, but welcome back. I'm happy Thank to you. have you here. And I'm also happy to have another beautiful face with me. Some of you may recognize this face. And so I would like to happily and warmly reintroduce my guest for today. Jasmine, please introduce yourself again. Hi, everyone. It's Jasmine Noir, um, dancer, choreographer, dance educator, now a pilot, Uh all right, uh, yes. Congrats. yes. Um, I have now taken on the term dance educator slash dance aviator. Okay. Okay. So we had you on, oh my God, at this point, it's a few years ago. And we talked Before about dance as your passport. So as a little um, reintroduction, you have been able to travel the world as a dancer with different gigs and different opportunities. What has changed? What has updated? And what is your status with traveling as a dancer, but traveling now as a dance educator? Like what does your life look like? And is it the same, but like without repeating the last episode, like what was that? Where are you now? Okay. So in 2019, I was, dancing uh with different brands and different uh different different brands different institutions um as a dancer now what does uh, but, that look like well, for people that aren't familiar with what that like the world of professional dance like right what'll that look well, like? a lot different. of people will think of like um i had a guest like a mandy where she danced with like Beyonce, right? You, right? you dance in videos, you dance at performances, you dance at Super Bowls, but there is so much more to what professional dancing actually yes. entails. And Amanda, yeah, kudos to Amanda. She's amazing. She's awesome. That's an OG, um, a beautiful dancer. Uh, but um, so Amanda's world and my world is a little different. And it's so funny because when Amanda and I saw each other, she was giving me props and I was giving her props, which just goes to show you how big the dance world really is. Yeah. And it's big enough for everybody to make it. But uh long story short, actually I just did just see Amandy this past summer. Um long story short, so the difference is Amandy is a commercial dancer. She's um signed dancer. So she dances with a lot of artists. Those artists travel, they go on tour, she dances with the artists. For me, I went more as scholarships and solos and um, auditioning for different companies. Like when I danced in China, it was for a company in China. When I danced in London, it was for an institution in London where I was on a talent scholarship. So it's very different. I have danced for artists as well, but uh, my traveling is more so along the lines of institutions and companies when I'm traveling. So it's more like I'm booked as a self-made dancer versus an agent booking me, I book myself, which is, is also, you know, which is not, like I said, it's just two different worlds. Okay. Um, but that's the path that I have chosen. So that was back then. Okay. Um, now what has changed is, uh, well, since the pandemic, I had to, I think the word is innovate. 
a lot of us had to innovate in, <laughs> during the pandemic because so much has changed. And uh, with teaching a lot of classes on Zoom and teaching a lot of classes online, I got the opportunity to do a lot of international classes. I got to teach kids and people from France to uh, Ghana to London online. So it opened me up to um, dance education. I began to really research because uh, essential work is in education. So I was able to merge my world and the education world together to really get into that foundation. I'm a foundational dancer already. So I was able to really hone in on that foundation. And uh, once the world started opening back up, I made it my duty to really take on that role. And then I got pregnant in 2021. When I got pregnant in 2021, my world changed completely. Um, I First, I became very sick. I had uh, a condition called hyperemesis gravidarium. It's not morning sickness. It's probably morning sickness times a thousand. It's oh, wow. probably, yes. I couldn't even keep down water without medication. I, had, I would drink water and I would throw up. So, it's a uh, very, 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 very rare. It's no one has found a cure for it yet. Um, the women slowly starting to come out the woodworks with it, but I became very sick. And uh, what happened was, um, I was teaching while I was pregnant. I was teaching a lot of classes while I was pregnant, and I uh, began to, in order to cope with my sickness through my pregnancy, once I announced my pregnancy, because I took a break from social media, once I announced my pregnancy on social media, I began to share more dance videos while pregnant. And the amount of support that I received was amazing. Uh, I mean, I received support all the way. I had women sending me money from different countries because being a, a, you know, a woman, a black woman who's bearing a child, I mean, that's just the most magical thing we could do. So um, I took that and I decided to change my direction, especially once I found that I was going to birth to a girl and say, I'm going to take this and become an aviator for young black girls everywhere. So I said, you know, I'm going to do everything that I've always dreamed of doing while I can do it. That's how I got into flying planes. I remember I actually came to my mom's house one day and said, mom, I flew a plane today. And she was just like, why? What? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I flew a plane actually like three times while I was pregnant. Actually, I had on this shirt in one of my um, in one of my plane videos. But yes, I, I decided to go to aviation school, learn about Why? flying planes. I've always wanted to fly planes, and when I got pregnant, I just just was like, I'm gonna do everything. I'm just gonna. I just became so daring, and I said, I'm just gonna do it all. So I'm just gonna try to learn how to fly planes. And my good friend Tanika, she's a pilot, and I had been inspired by her. So when she told me the school she went to, I called the school. They knew Tanika, so I was like, I'm gonna go to aviation school and take a few classes, you know, while I'm pregnant over the summer. So that's what I did. I did that, and I started flying planes. I didn't really tell anyone except my mom and my child's father. And um, then I exposed that and, you know, just made it like, you know, one of those things where I, I don't put myself in a box. I like to see myself as someone who steps out and does many different things. And because of dance as my passport, as the last foundation that I left with you, I was like, you know, I want to learn how to fly planes so I can take myself to a lot of these places and a lot of these. I, I, I don't want to limit myself. So that's kind of how I jumped into flying planes. So a dancer slash pilot, you probably will never hear that ever. Like That's like two different worlds. 
Real talk though, what comes to mind for me is all of those impossible situations where you are in <laughs> some type of ridiculous plane situation and somebody just needs to step up and fly the fucking plane. <laughs> what are the chances that that's going to happen, right? But you know, all the planes that you watch, like I feel like one of the movies is actually, I think it's called Plane. It's the one with Gerard Butler mm-hmm. and that black guy, I do not know his name Mm -hmm. Um, but that movie it's like randomly someone needed to know how to fly a fucking plane there was something else like there are a million watch there are million movies and i cannot think of a single scenario where i will need to fly a plane but i think it's pretty fucking badass that you learned how to fly a plane what type of planes can you fly like i know there are i'm pretty sure you're not flying a commercial jetliner like that's different than I'm flying um Skyhawk Cessna. So okay. when I first learned how to fly planes, it was a Skyhawk Cessna. Um, and those are definitely uh the first planes that you learn to fly when you go to aviation school. So that's how I got into mm-hmm. flying planes with that. It is um honestly it was the most liberating experience. And even after I gave birth, I went back to aviation school to fly some more. And I was mm-hmm. able to actually to fly to the Hamptons. Nice. So I got to fly over, uh, fly over the water because the first time you fly, it's very local, and then okay. the more miles, the more air air miles you get, the further you can go. So I went to the Hamptons, and then the last time I flew a plane, I the last time I flew uh, a plane, it was um, I got to land it, which that's very hard. And it was another time that I flew a plane, and the wind was very gusty. So you know, it's very hard. Okay, so we really should be flat. So, like, what you're saying is we should actually clap for the pilot at the end of the flight. That's exactly why people do it now. I understand because it is not easy with the turbulence and the gusty winds. Landing a plane, one wrong move, the plane can literally crash and then explode. Like, yeah, land just going to get it. Thank you. It seems me. very. I can't clap. Yeah, it seems... No, I understand it to be very difficult. I can't do the shit. I ain't never going to be able to do the shit. I'm going to look to you. If, God forbid, I was ever on a plane and some shit needed to happen, it ain't going to be me that saves the day. Oh, wait, I can't hear you. No, I'm sorry. No, that was an accident. No, I was saying, yeah. So, what else has, like, changed for you? I know before we started recording, I was saying to you, um, as a dance instructor, you've played that role as a nurturing or as a mothering, you know, figure for your students prior. Um, I used to teach dance and I know what that's like. I know what that relationship with your babies is. Exactly. And now as a mother, you know, you've got your own babies. So on mm-hmm. the, on the front end, it's, that relationship that you've built with your babies and the way that they are able to um, perform what you teach and what you give and share with them mm-hmm. has given you the opportunity to expand and grow and develop yourself as a dancer, as a business person, right. um, and as, you know, a traveling performer, right? right? But it's one thing, right, to travel with kids, to just be someone that goes from point A to point B to point B with kids. But then it's another thing to be someone who travels for work 
and has kids. Like, yeah. how have you been juggling that? Are you able to bring your girls with you? Are you able to, you know, what is it like if you can't bring the girls with you? Um, what has that experience been like for you to navigate? Oh, boy. So um, the first time I traveled with my daughter was to Atlanta. Um, that wasn't for work. That was for her uncle's baby shower. And actually, it wasn't too bad. She was well okay. on the plane. She sat on my lap. She watched her Gracie's Corner on the iPad. She was fine. Um, okay. I had no so What was that like for you? Did you have to travel alone? like, Or did you have like help with her through the airport? Because I know a lot of... You know, people say that if you, you know, set it up perfectly where your flight is for their nap time and you keep their routines the same, mm -hmm. that, of course, routine, right? Routine yes. with kids is what that golden rule is and it makes yes. everyone's life easier. Yes. What was that experience like for you? Because it's yes. one thing to be a new mom, but then it's like another thing to be like a new mom that's now also do embarking on the pain in the ass fucking traveling did you right. have to do it by yourself did you have help what was that experience so like? i had help my mother uh Excellent. my mom helped uh helped me get to the airport with my daughter my flight was in the afternoon because she's more prone to go to sleep in the middle of the day for her nap so she did actually nap on the plane beautiful um so I did have help with that. Her sister was me with was with me who's fourteen, and oh I did God. have people who helped me. Uh, they let us get on a plane first, mm -hmm. and um, I did have good seats. So having good seats does matter. They definitely let you on the plane first if you have children. Um, you get first dibs with that. So that definitely all those things do help. I will say that it's not as difficult as it may seem unless the child is hysterically crying a lot. And even with that, if the child is hysterically crying, they usually let you off the plane first because no one wants to hear that, right? So that was uh, my first experience traveling with my daughter was not too bad, I must say. Uh, I was able to put her in the stroller um, when we got there and when we got back. It, it wasn't too it wasn't too difficult. Um, now, when I went to Africa, I did not take my baby. I did take her sister, her, my okay. her, who's fourteen, um, and traveling with a preteen is a little different because preteens are inquisitive. They're curious, especially when they're somewhere they've never been. So as soon as we got off the plane in Guinea, West Africa, she's wandering into the, and I'm like, ma'am, no, 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 no. You have to stay close to me. Like, she's just yeah. like, Oh my God. You know, she, the excitement made her just go <gasps> like that. So this, the understanding that, you have to explain to your kids, don't wander off. Don't walk off. It's going to look beautiful. It's going to look amazing. But trust me, they know that this plane just came from America and we are foreigners and, and people are crazy. Mm -hmm. So um, I took her sister with me to that. And uh, it, I mean, I had to explain that to her, but it was also, I think traveling with her was also amazing because she learned a lot. It was an educational experience for her as much as it was a dance education experience for me. So, um, that's what uh, it was like traveling with both of them at different times for different purposes. And while I was in Guinea, West Africa, I was studying djembe, which is a West African dance style. And that was a lot that allowed me to um, to show my daughter because it was a hard training for me. It was dance training. It was hard, but she got to see it. She got to because she thinks I'm just this amazing dancer. But for her to see me on the other side where I actually had to work and had to push through it. It's like that's inspiring because that means this is where hard work gets you. Mm -hmm. So I, I got like three questions, questions in there for you. Like one about the training, but two about what was her travel experience like? Um, what was 
that experience like because is she your the oldest is not your biological daughter correct no no so what is that like traveling with someone else's biological child like what is that co-parenting travel experience like because it's one thing to co-parent with somebody you know um in the states in in the neighborhood like you know state to state is another headache when you've got one parent that lives in another state like how are we getting minor kids from one place to another but now we're in a different country Mm -hmm. um what was her travel experience had she done a lot of traveling before and then what was that experience like for you now um being the co-parent the the bonus parent with somebody else's kid overseas at that okay so (laughs) That's a very, that's a loaded question and I'm going to answer everything. So the first thing is, um, she does, she has traveled, not out the country, but she has traveled. So it was not hard for her to understand how flights work. This was her first international trip. So she had a lot to learn as far as immigration. So she learned a lot as far as immigration, her passport. Um, I was explaining to her the different borders and why this border is necessary. This border is necessary. Why they search our bags so many times. Cause she did start to ask, why do they search us so much? And I said, when you travel internationally, they have to make sure they have to be careful. That's why they say three hours as opposed to 90 minutes when it's domestic. Um, now, as far as traveling with someone else's child out the country, that definitely was something that I had to make sure because, I mean, it's one thing if it's my child, but the consequences of something happening when you have someone else's child in your care, no one wants that. So I was extremely protective of her. I mean, to the point where I had the key to her room mm-hmm. and when it was time to go to bed, I had the key. She couldn't get out. Like I was mm-hmm. extremely protective because I didn't want anything to happen to her because if her father is trusting me to take her out of the country to a foreign country, someplace he's never been him trusting me to that. That's a, that's a lot of trust to put yeah. your child in someone else's hands that did not birth your child. Um, I had to live up to that and I did not want to disappoint because um, that's a lot of trust. Yeah. What about her mom? That her mom is not in the picture right now. Okay. So, so then yeah. moving right past. Yeah. What also, what is that like? I don't know how to like for other people looking in, like you're traveling. For example, when you get to the airport, do they ask who is this little girl to you? Or do they ask the little girl, like, is this your mom? Or yes. go to your like you understand yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. are they are people asking questions? Yes, they what are. is that like? Yeah. What was that experience like? Like, because um, well, this isn't your you know, kid. She just told them, "This is my mom." Okay. It was, she didn't even. She didn't hesitate. She. This is my okay. mom. That's my daughter. You know, and it okay. was as simple as that. You guys had a more unique situation where that relationship between you guys is already established. So it's not like she's like having to be reiterated or reminded, hey, so be careful about how you talk about our relationship to other people so they don't think that we need to go into a back room and have a conversation about where I found you if I'm forcing you to be here. Okay, so that, great, clear, because that was something that was in the back of my mind. Like, I wonder if that caused any issues. Now, in terms of, you know, traveling with her over there, like, what was that experience like for you guys in terms of bonding and growing your relationship together? Because it's one thing to spend time with someone. And I think any type of intentional time spent with someone, of course, is going to go towards, you know, developing and strengthening Uh a relationship. But I think that for us as individuals, seeing and experiencing ourselves differently 
on our travels and in new environments allows us to open ourselves up to opportunities and to, you know, worlds of ourselves that are separate from what we currently know. Right. And as an imaginative 14 year old and as someone that is just like on the cusp and in that space of just like the world and life is so new and everything that they know of life is such a big experience. Like what was that like to share in that with her in a different country and in, um, not even just like you guys went on a Euro trip, like y'all went to Africa, like we're in New Guinea. You were in Guinea, Guinea, West Africa. So we were in Morocco and Guinea and uh, Bis. Basu, Basu, but we spent the majority of our time in Guinea. Okay. So what was that experience like? Because this isn't like, you know, just taking a kid to Disney World, which is great. It's an impactful experience. It's fucking Disney World. I remember my Disney World trip, right? But it's another thing where this is like, nah, like this isn't something that all of her friends are going to be able to do. This isn't something that like, even like all of your cousins could do. Like you could run up to the next barbecue and be like, but guess what I did last summer? You know right. what I mean? Like, what was that like for you guys? Well, um, Guinea was a learning experience for both of us. And we got to, it actually brought us closer together because uh, she went through some growing pains while being in Africa. Seeing the that? young black girls out there, the the young black children in, in Africa are much more mature, much more responsible, much more organized, less nonsense uh, as we're here. It's a lot of irresponsibility. Um, unfortunately, especially in our community with children. And uh, she was a little culture shocked when she saw that the scooter taxis were driven by boys her age. Mm-hmm. And they were making so much money. And she's just like, you know, the, the teen girls, they have jobs. They make, they're responsible. They, I mean, they, they don't have time to just be all in their phones and everything is not a TikTok video and things like that. Like she had to learn that this is what we aspire for our children to be like, uh, because this is where our ancestors grew up on responsibility, diligence. Um, so for her, she realized that she said it, she said, we play around a lot back in America because here they don't play around at all. Like, so she learned a lot of valuable lessons and responsibility and paying, being aware and paying attention. She and I even had some moments where, I had to hold her accountable as a mother figure and uh, we had to hit that, that rough patch. And I had to sit her down and be like, listen, this is what we're not going to do. This is what we are going to do because she is 14 and they get pushback that this is just natural, but Absolutely. it wasn't in a disrespectful way. It was just, she gave a little pushback, but that was because her, um, she got her defense was up. You know, because at that age, you're very defensive. You're very sensitive. You feel like you're being attacked. So you, or you, you, your knee-jerk reaction is to respond with defense. So I had to check on that. Um, and she instantly apologized and said, you know, you mean everything to me. And I appreciate everything you've done for me and do for me. Like, I would never be ungrateful to you. I'm sorry. I just get really defensive. And I said, the fact that you recognize that now mm-hmm. means now you can fix it. Because that's really all it is, is you're being defensive because there's something sensitive and insecure within you that you got to that you gotta acknowledge. And I said, you're 14. You're yep. not going She's to... baby. Yeah, baby, you're not going to get that right away. It's gonna All of the hormones are new. The hormones don't even know what they're there right. to do yet. So even she's going to have some time working through even She'll down get to there. her. Um, even down to her body, she's a very developed young lady. And, you know, she's recognizing like, oh, like 
I get looked at and this is, you know, she dresses like this, but you know, out there it's really, really hot. So she had on more fitted shirts and was just like, Oh, I, I, okay. Like, so it was a lot for her to take in. It was a lot for her to take in. She did a lot of quiet and I have never seen that girl so quiet. Mm. She was very quiet on that trip and watching a lot of what's going on. So how did she respond to the different countries? Because the all the countries are different. She oh, loved it. Like they're not. She, um, she respected it. Mm-hmm. She respected all the cultural differences from Morocco to Guinea. She respected all the cultural differences. If anything, she wanted to to be a part of it. She wanted to wear the hijab. She wanted to to wear the things to, to show the the people of the country like I respect your culture. Mm-hmm. So she loved it. So you had mentioned earlier that her being able to see you on the other side of being a dancer, um, being a student as a dancer, what was that like for you being back um, as a student and also back in a much more authentic setting than um, you could get in a different country? Because it's one thing to have like an instructor come from it's one well first of all it's one thing to have an instructor that's trained in a specific technicality or a specific um you know type of dance or a style of dance but then it's right. another thing to have you know an instructor who comes from an area where the style of dance is richly influenced uh <laughs> by where the dance is done. Exactly. and then it's a different thing to then now take class in this location, in a style of dance that is very heavily influenced on, that is partly dependent based, it's not dependent, but it's heavily influenced by where it's from. So it's like there are different tiers and there are different levels. What was that next level experience like for you? Well, first of all, the studio space. Um, It wasn't even, um, well, the dance space. I won't even say studio space, the Mm -hmm. dance space. Uh, First of all, it wasn't even class. They put me in rehearsal with a dance company. So okay. that was already one because I'm now I'm dancing, with pros. I'm dancing with the pros and I got my ass. Can I say ass? Absolutely, girl. I got my ass handed to me. Um, okay. It, it was well, walking into this dance space. I felt the energy of my ancestors. They haven't updated that dance space. You could tell that it is. They kept it exactly the way it was made. Um, so that was beautiful to see. It was also beautiful to be around. No one speaks English in Guinea. Everyone speaks French. Okay. So my instructor only spoke French. I was the only one. Do you speak any French? Huh? Do you speak any French? Uh, comme si, comme ça. Very little. So not a lot. And, um, she was speaking and I was just like, oh my, and the instructor spoke no English. So our language that we shared was dance. So I had to really pay attention to how she was moving um, and the music and it was two hours, no AC because they don't have that, no fans because they don't have that. And everyone is just the, the children and the dancers. They were so disciplined. It was just, I was like, oh my goodness. I, I thought I was good here. But when I went there, I said, no, this is different. I yeah. got handed to me, but in a way that I needed Sometimes life just got to humble you so that you can shut up and learn. And I needed that moment so that I could shut up and learn. Yeah. One of the things that hit me so hard was um, in Cuba, 
I feel like you've, have you been to Cuba? I have not. Costa Rica. Okay. Yeah. So in Cuba, I went to um, Palenque, which is a village that was established by escaped slaves. And they have very strictly held that bloodline strong that you are there because you are a descendant of those slaves that were able, those enslaved people who were able to escape and create a life there. First of all, them babies was dancing their asses off, okay? And they were drumming their asses off. But <laughs> my God, because I've been there, right? Mm-hmm. I've danced, but I've never danced in that heat. Okay. That consistently and that strongly. Yes. That is some next level technique. Yes. Like it is one thing to just be able to keep going, to have high endurance and to just keep your body moving, but then to just do it with a smile. Right. So, all right. That's one stage. That's one level. You're there. You're there. But then to do that, baby, in like 102 degrees, full humidity, like what? I'm so like, and then my second day of training, my second day of training, she came to my house and we practiced outside in the sun at one o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, yeah, that was crazy. Terrible idea. That was crazy. I don't want to walk to the store one o'clock in the afternoon. But they they do that out there. So, and I, 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 they do that out there. They do. So, how did you not die? What was your, it's, no, seriously though, because heat stroke's a real thing. He, heat exhaustion and dehydration are real things. And so I, I can know. imagine that I even. I didn't die. That's a good question. I because think that matters. Because different. Uh, because I didn't die. I didn't, the air is different. The sun is different. I also was very well fed before I went on because I had a cook at my house and she made me a hearty breakfast that helped and they had lots of water there and I was very hydrated and I was, I was, um, I was completely well fed before I went out there. So I don't know how I didn't die. I really don't know. Because I think that that's something that, um, I'm certain that, you know, Olympians and other athletes at like high levels consider like, you know, especially when you do outdoor sports, but Mm -hmm. dance isn't necessarily conceived as an outdoor sport per se. You know what I mean? Like I think of it as a speak and it um, should be as a sport, but in terms of it being outdoors, I don't necessarily, I mean, yes, there are tons of performances that are done outdoors, but when I think of dance, I'm thinking of indoors. I'm thinking of inside the outdoor performances, you know, something that happens, but not like the norm that you think of, Mm -mm. but I yeah, I didn't consider what that's a, another layer to consider is the way that you also have to treat your body, have to con again, I hate using the same words again, but like consider you have to consider your body is now performing at a different um requirement, at a different level. And between the heat, just like the something as simple as one thing I used to always pay attention to was what's the space we working in? Like how much space do I have? That's one thing that I always hated was like dancing in smaller spaces. <laughs> mm-hmm. because it's like, 
you have your full out in your head. Your body knows what your full out is. And your full out is one thing when it's just like, all right, so, well, this is the staggering. This is the lining. This is the setup of who we have around me. So you know what your full out is going to look like with the people that are around you. But then it's just like, now if these people got to be three feet closer to me, my full out is different. So it's like those types of considerations you think of. But like, I, I don't know that I would have as readily considered that you might have to train for something like this differently than you would normally train. This is something that when they say like, you're going to go hike Mount Kilimanjaro or something like that, like altitude training where they prepare you for, you might want to do a certain uh, type of workout, or you might want to do some types of uh, pre-training or pre-conditioning so that your body is able to um, complete or achieve whatever it is that you set out for. But is that one of the things that in your, um, especially in your specialty as, um, I guess, dance education and dance, tra- like not as a commercial dancer, but someone who travels based on the education they're receiving in their dance experience has that ever been something that the different institutions or companies have ever um mentioned or stressed that because i mean you are expected to be at the peak of your personal performance level right right and it's a different thing when they don't necessarily say to you hey girl so we're doing it outside in 100 degrees or london having to perform in some place that may not necessarily be as warm as what you're used to if you're say from miami or you know augusta georgia or something like that has ever um has that ever come as a point of consideration or conversation from any of those um establishments well no i know for me whatever is handed to me i usually tend to excuse me i'm just moving a little bit i know that for me um i tend to just do what i need to do um no matter the condition i'm not really one to complain so if they tell me we're dancing outside we're dancing in the cold and i know that it's something that i genuinely want to do i'm gonna do it yeah i'm going to genuinely do it because um it's something that I truly want to do. So I, I try to leave no room for excuses. So what was it like when you returned home? Like, how has your experience been able to, um, what has been, I don't want to say like the fallout, but what has been the the aftermath? Like, what has been... like all the words that are coming to me have such like a negative connotation, but like, what has your experience been like with um, your eldest now that you've been back and what has it looked like in how you're able to now offer your, your students back at home now that you've had this, you know, continued education and um, further development for yourself as an educator? Well, uh, what has the changed about well the aftermath of my my daughter and I my oldest is um I have learned to spend less time trying to do things for her and do more things with her as far as mental and character building versus just going out okay. because um over the summer, I took her to see Beyonce, and then I took her to Africa, and that was her first concert, and this was her first time out the country, so I raised the bar kind of high in both mm-hmm. areas, and um, I learned that, that um, learning some of the challenges she has 
as far as her character development, excuse me, I was like, you know, I'm going to use this time now to help develop your mindset and your character versus always just wanting to take you out and do things with you. That bonding is important, Mm -hmm. but we need a lot more mental bonding. And being in Africa made me realize we need a lot more mental bonding because it was strong, but I learned some things about her that I would have never had known had I not went to Africa. And I said, this is going to change our dynamic in a good way because now I'm going to focus more on helping your character development as a young lady and as a young girl. And she was able to open more about the things that she has gone through in her past. Um, so that changed that. And ultimately that also helped bring her grades up at school. So, mm. you know, the, just different things that she's realizing, okay, I got to do better. Uh, so how, that's how that helped with her. And on my end, um, it just made me really pay attention to her more, her, her, her needs, not her wants. That's important. Now, um, as far as, my kids, I changed the whole dynamic of my baby's dance. So I have teach a few different groups and I have my babies, which is called the creative movement. At first they were doing a shuffle piece, a tap shuffle piece. I changed that whole dynamic. They're dancing now with the drums. Uh, they have their own little djembe drums and they're understanding because how I teach dance with the babies is I use tap shoes to help them understand that if the tap shoes sound like they're all over the place, they're not dancing together. That's right. So that one sound, I'm like, does it sound like one sound? They're like, no. Okay. So let's make it sound like one sound. But now I'm using that with the drums. So I let them hit the drums and hit the beat. And they're like this with the little djembe drums. So me taking the djembe drum and teaching them that it's from Guinea, West Africa, was something that was true to my heart because it was like, okay, I was a student here and I now I get to take this and bring this to these little babies and they get to home, go home and tell their mom, mommy, I did a drum dance today from Gimme, because you know, they're kids, so Gimme West mm-hmm. Africa or Gimme Africa or Africa Gimme. It's just to, to see the excitement behind them learning about that dance versus just, you know how we grew up? We grew up learning African dance, but we didn't really get the indulgement of it because um and you have to really go to Africa to get that different type of training. You really do. So a lot of times we just learned boom ba, ba, do, do, do. we learned it and it was good. Like it was great. Like your mom was great. Like it was great. Um but being able to tell them where it came from in the drums and why the drums exist and what the rhythms mean, I was able to really teach I was really able to sit down and teach them like they were in a African history class or African class this is what you're learning and this is why you're doing it. Like I have a little whiteboard of what they're learning and they read off of it before we dance. So it allowed me to go deeper beyond the surface with teaching dance. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I, that's one of the reasons why I went to Guinea. I said, if I'm going to teach African dance, I need to go to Africa. I'm very big on authenticity. I do not believe in the blind leading the blind. It's too much of that, especially today in the dance world. So many people that teach that I'm like, if you just had a little more training, you could teach, but you have to really, really, and if you can't go to Africa because it's expensive, then read. There's so many YouTube videos. There's so much research or train with someone who went to Africa. Some people do that as well. There's so many um, ways for us to really get that true information beyond the surface. And um, the drummers were telling me that 
I am the first dancer of my generation to go back to Africa and train in djembe since, rest her soul, Alexandria Myers. That's not African. Anyone who's African, of course, they go back home, but non-African dance teacher that actually went to Africa to learn. No other dance teacher in, in our in our Queens community has done that. Okay. Um, as far as they know. And they go to Africa every year. Mm-hmm. A lot of the teachers now, of course, they learn from the OGs, but they never went back home. Because, again, it's now, expensive. Are there different schools um, that are out there like what is that world look like in um western africa at least in the area in guinea that you were in there are different uh companies so many different companies uh they have so many dance festivals so there are lots of different ones i was in conakry so i went to north conakry for my training but there's so many different dance spaces in guinea itself even okay. in conakry itself i was in meta i was specifically in metem conakry which is uh that's the area where i was training at and do they have like um not apprenticeships but um like what is the type of program that you were in to go over and do this like if there were other dancers that were interested in having an experience, well, a more immersive experience where they themselves wanted to have firsthand training or not even just training for the experience, like other dancers that just want to study under someone, um, well, not just even someone, but more authentically, what would you suggest or um, what direction, what resources would you direct people to, to kind of find what studio or what company may work best for them or even to know the type of dance or um, even region that they would like to focus their attention to, to kind of um, immerse themselves in? I would honestly say to do your research, because for me, I got to Matem Conakry with Aminata, the choreographer, through a drummer named Gene Osborne, who has been, he's been going to Conakry every year for 30 years. He has... He's he's pretty famous out there in Guinea. He's not Guinean himself, but he might as well be because the world knows him. He has been watching me for some time now. He's always been a fan of my will to move. And when he saw that I did a couple of things African-based, he reached out to me and said, you got to go to Africa, Jazz. You, you, we go every year. You, you got to come with us this year. You got to come. You got to go to Africa. Like, what are you doing? Like... You got to go. He said, I say to so many dancers, he said, you you, you got to go. Like, let's go. So I, I said, I, I'm going. And I, I was ready. So I would say, do your reason. If people wanted to go through me, I would send them to Gene. Okay. Gene has his people that he could set things up with. Everything is a fee, of course. It costs money. But I would send them to Gene. Um, there were other women in my rehearsal from Paris, France as well. Mm-hmm. They did their research and that's how they found Aminata. They were French, uh, French women who they, they lived in Conakry when I was talking to them, you know, the little bit English they did have, they told me they lived in Conakry for three months, but they're going back to France next month, but they came here to Conakry to change, to train. Okay. So, you know, I would say do your research and I think it's also about word of mouth. Because the internet out there is not really a huge thing. 
you know, it's still very old school. So it's really who you know, and it's really word of mouth. Like one of the women from France, she's dating a Guinean man. Okay. So when she, she he, I guess when she came with him the first time, she discovered the company and then went back since she happened to be a dancer and bought her dancer friends and said, let's go to uh, go to Guinea. So it's really, right now it's word of mouth, but Guinea is starting to become modernized. They are, and I say in about five, six years, Guinea is going to be pretty modernized. The internet's going to be up and running. They already be building the homes and making them look more modernized. Okay. So before we finish up, what was that experience like in Guinea in particular? Like the, you said in the Conakry area, what, so there was no access to internet? Like what was it your, was scarce. um, okay. The internet is scarce. It's very hard to get internet service and Wi-Fi. Like it's very slow. It's extreme. It's, it exists. It's just, it's slow. It's almost like when the internet was first created in America, it's in the beginning stages. Um, Women, people are still washing up and taking showers in buckets in, in Conakry, which was beautiful to see. Honestly, that was beautiful to see. I, they seeing the kids just in front of the house, just taking a bath and it was, no one cared. It was just very normal. They're seeing the big brothers washing the little brothers in the, um, in the, um, in the bucket, giving them washing the, you know, I see the little girl five years old washing her baby sister's hair and another one braiding her sister's hair. Just, it was just beautiful to see. Um, how resourceful mm-hmm. they were. And they were so happy. They didn't even need, I saw a bunch of boys near my house. Oh, three of them were herding goats. Mm-hmm. Another few of them were just jumping in and out of the canal river. And, and another group playing soccer, a group of boys, just, they don't need internet. They don't need anything. They were just enjoying outside. They were enjoying nature and they were happy. And everyone was happy. What were your accommodations like? Um, I lived in, uh, I lived in a house in the country. Um, I lived in a more modernized house. So one of the modern homes that were being built, I lived in one of those homes. Okay. So the running water, flushing toilet, um, you said you had a cook. So I assume like, you know, there's a stove, there's a sink, there's No, she cooked outside. Really? Okay. There's no, yeah. So in Africa, they still keep some traditions. Her name was Fudia. Fudia cooked out, cooked everything outside. Everything was, and honestly, it tastes amazing. No stove. She cooked everything outside. Oh, all she had was charcoal and fire. She cooked everything outside. That is an interesting setup. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what would you leave baby dancers with? As we close this out, like what is something that, because when we last spoke, you had dance as your passport, right? Like what is your closing remark for this conversation? Like, what are you imparting upon the future generation of traveling dancers? Be an aviator at everything that you do. And when I say aviator, I mean taking things to new heights and taking things to new levels. So that's why I call myself a dance aviator because I am taking what I do to a new level and to a new height that people usually see and go, how the heck are you doing this? you know, sh- shock the world with what you're doing, make them believe what you're doing. Um, I always say, look at, I, I'm going to just use her as an example. Look at Beyonce. She's a perfect example of an aviator. She never comes back the way she left. She comes okay. back different every single time you see her. Every single time. And that's my goal is every time I come back into the light, I'm going to be a different version of myself. And 
aviator to me just means I'm going to forever evolve. It's going to be turbulence. It's going to be ups and downs. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to always evolve. So that's what I would leave with. That's, as a Dance is my passport is, is definitely still my saying, but uh, we've evolved from that because I've evolved from that. And I've humbled myself so much since then. Jasmine, thank you so, so much for joining me. Thank you for sharing in your experiences. You know, every week we have really great conversations about how travel is so much more than vacation. And you've, you know, thank you for discussing with us how it has, you know, helped you grow as not just a teacher, but as a mother. Yes. I appreciate you sharing that story with us. And I can't wait to keep up with you. And I see how you continue to aviate and grow and improve Thank you. and develop more and more. Yes. Right, Thanks for rocking with us. And Thank we'll you. see you guys next week. Thanks. Oh, wait, actually, where can the people find you? Um, you can find me. You can find me at Jasmine Noir, uh, J-A-S-M-I-N-E. Uh, dot N-O-I-R underscore. Sorry, I had to open the door for my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> my little toddler. She's about to come in the room. So um, it'll be in the description box, but you said jasmine.noir. Yes, underscore. Jasmine.noir underscore. Okay, underscore at the end. All right, good folks. See y'all next week. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye.